tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. It's Friday, people. Friday. Throw me softballs. It's been a long I've had some great questions this week, and uh, I'm not sure I answered any of them. But we'll try again today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. And again we ask Mary, Queen of Peace, help us to keep the peace in this difficult world. We ask these things through Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, all right, let's go to the big book on the coffee table. And before we launch into it, uh, let us um, let us just pause for a moment and uh, um, notice the, the fact that this is the feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. And it's, it's embarrass- embarrassing for me to say, but... I never took a course in St. Thomas Aquinas. St. Thomas Aquinas was out of fashion when I was in seminary. We were discouraged from studying St. Thomas. And I have made up for it with much, much with the help of of, of Bishop Barron, who actually makes um, St. Thomas uh, understandable to people as slow as I am. But um, no, never took St. Thomas. And St. Thomas is... He is called the the teacher of, or, or what's what's how to put this? Uh, he is called the doctor of common sense, and the word doctor, of course, means teacher. But um, uh, he's the teacher of common sense. Uh, isn't that something? Uh, that that he's not that. I, I, you know, I, I find him a little difficult because, of course, I don't have much common sense. But he, he is the, the doctor of common sense. That's that's his title, and I think that that's a, a good title. All right, let us go to the readings. Let's see here. Uh, let's see here. I, I want to look up something. Uh, oh, I got this inside out the way I would. Uh, the 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 idea I, I get a big kick out of this. They throw the word siesta in. What they throw the word siesta in? Well, I'm going to let you know what that word really means in Hebrew. Uh, yeah. The the by the way, everybody thinks of siestas. They associate them with uh, uh, um, 
with Hispanic people. Oh, no, 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 no. Germans take siestas too. The Mittagspause is very... In fact, is they actually most... Where am, boy, am I off the topic. They mostly... Uh, um, um, in, in, in the traditional German kitchen, there's a kind of sofa. And after lunch, which is the main meal, Papa sort of reclines on the sofa while, of course, Mama cleans up, and uh, uh, he takes his siesta. I, I think every kitchen should have a sofa. All right, moving on. I don't know what I'm talking about. Well, the the he. I think that's very colorful that they say he got up from a siesta. This is, this is bizarre. Uh, why am I talking about this? Uh, so they say he got up from a siesta, and I just want to tell you what a siesta is. Uh, in in Hebrew, it doesn't say that. It says David arose uh, 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 and walked. Or, uh, David arose from his bed. That's mishkabo. It doesn't have anything about a siesta. And I, I'm wondering why the translator said he woke up from his siesta. This is a, sounds like it's a siesta just before he's going to go to bed. Of course, well, I've been there, done that. All right, let's get back to the readings instead of this. <sighs> The siesta of David. Um, oh yes, the, the voice in my head says it's tiring him out. He needs a nap. Well, I'm, 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 I, I, I'm with you there, brother. I'm. We're almost. We're into the show. I'm 50 minutes from a nap. All right. At the now, this is another interesting thing, <clears throat> which I don't know if it's going to be terribly um, uh, edifying. But at the turn of the year, when kings go out on campaign. In other words, oh boy, it's war season. <laughs> well, did you know that there are four Jewish New Year's? There is uh, the first of Tishrei, which is um, um, would be in, in uh, fall. You have Rosh Hashanah, which means the head of the year. Then you have the first of Nisan, not the car, N-I-S-A-N. And then you have the 15th of, of Shabbat. Uh, these are Hebrew months. Uh, um, Rosh Hashanah is in autumn, and uh, uh, Nisan. Uh, let's see, where's where's Nisan? I have this all prepared. Uh, Nisan is uh, in. Uh, 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 oh, when's Nisan? I forget. Nisan is uh, in like March, April, and this would be when kings went out uh, when the rainy season was over, and then you have uh, Elul, which is in August. Uh, and late September, and then you have uh, uh, the feast is called Tu, and it's the it's believe it or not, it is the New Year of trees. Seriously, because the the Torah is big on not harvesting from trees for the first three years, and then the first fruits that come up from a fruit tree uh, in the fourth year are are offered to the Lord. So you got the birthday of the tree is this this feast of uh, uh, of uh, two Bishvat. So that that's um, a different time altogether. So I don't know if that, that, that. All right, let's get back to the reading. This is just too obscure. All right. Um, the army of Israel ravaged the Ammonites, besieged Rabbah. Now people says, well, people have said, well, God let this happen and God did this. And no, the, the scriptures are full of things that God didn't want to happen. Uh, and just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean it's a good thing. 
the Bible is the record of God's relationship to humanity over a period of 2,000 years, from, give or take, Abraham, remembering the early, earlier stories of the creation, but from Abraham, maybe 2,000 B.C., to the, the, the finishing of the founding of the church, 250, or, 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 or 50 A.D., 100 A.D., give or take. So it's, it's a 2,000-year story of, of, of a family, our family, the family into which we're adopted by, um, uh, by, by God. But this is a very dysfunctional family, as you may have noticed. It's a very human family. And often I, I tell you that it, to expect more of humanity than human, from human beings than humanity, <laughs> loosely defined, is an idolatry. You know, we look at people and say, you should be perfect. You, you know, uh, I was uh, sharing with someone about uh, when I was 23 and doing a chaplaincy, it was sort of an internship, before I was ordained, uh, in a children's hospital. And uh, it was just tragic. And the doctors had brought me in uh, because they had to tell their mom, this mom, that their daughter was not going to make it. And um, she was utterly distraught. And then she turned on me because... She felt I was God's representative, and I most certainly was not at that time, and still am not. I'm just like you, a servant of the Lord. But she hauled in and said, you and your God. To expect from humanity more than humanity, to expect divinity, is, is an idolatry. You know, we expect our spouses to be perfect, our bosses to be perfect, our clergy to be perfect. Good luck with that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have high expectations of, of certain professions, like the clergy. But on the other hand, you have to remember that you're never going to meet anybody in this world except our, our Lord and his Blessed Mother, uh, and you meet them in prayer and in the sacraments, but you're never going to meet anybody in this world who is not an original sinner. That's to be remembered. The sweetheart that you married a sinner, uh, the parents who raised you, a sinner, the priest to whom you go to confession, a sinner. And and I think we need to be aware of that, that we live in a, me, when I look in the mirror, a sinner. So here we have the story of a terrible sinner, and uh, <clears throat> I'd better get to it because um, there's a lot I want to say about this. One evening, David rose from bed and strolled on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. It was very beautiful. You can go to this actual spot in Jerusalem where this probably happened. And you look down into the valley of the Kidron, and right down there would be this, this probably right there would be uh, the roof of a house. And people used the roofs. They were kind of their piazzas, their plazas. And um, it was cooler up there, especially in summer. So... He saw a woman bathing, was very beautiful, and he asked, and she's Bathsheba, the daughter of, of Eliam, and the wife of Joab's armor-bearer. Joab was David's main general, and Uriah, the Hittite. Now, there's dispute over what this word Hittite means. There was a Hittite empire in Turkey, and there were kind of Hittites, people were called Hittites, who kind of wandered into... Uh, uh, into the um, Holy Land, and this man was serving in the army of David and ostensibly had accepted the religion of Israel. And so uh, 
this was a loyal servant of King David. So David sent messengers and took her. Now, that's the word. He took her. I think that's a very important, important word because this was not a consensual relationship. I really don't believe it was. Um, and, uh, you know, some, some soldiers or police uh, come to your door and say, His Majesty would like a few, a few minutes of your time, madam. Well, he, he, he did what he wanted to do and then sent her home. And the woman conceived. Her husband had been out at the battlefront. They would have known that this was not his child. I'm with child. So David sent a messenger to, to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And, of course, he interviews him. And how wonderful. He says, go down to your house and bathe your feet. That was a euphemism for say hello to your wife. Uh, another euphemism. Well, Uriah left the palace, and a portion was sent out after him from the king's table, and David thought, easy peasy. But Uriah was so loyal that he refused to go home, and he, he said, now this is, of course, a shorter version. You can read the whole thing. But he said, I'm not going to go to my house while my men are sleeping in the trenches. I will not sleep in my bed. Two nights in a row he did this, and David got him roaring drunk. And he still was such a loyal soldier and such a virtuous man, Uriah was, that he refused to go home. And so uh, David wrote a little letter and sent and sealed it and, and gave it to Uriah and said, uh, bring this to your commanding officer, Joab. You know what was in it? Place Uriah up front when the fighting is fierce, then pull back and leave and be struck down dead. That's what happened. Some officers of David's army fell, and among them was Uriah the Hittite. So David masterminded the death of a number of his officers, one of them being a man whom he had wronged by violating his wife. Now, I, I have... <laughs> people have... Important and smart and scholarly people have not been happy when I have made this exegesis, but it seems pretty black and white to me. And... Uh, this is David. David has been a thug all of his life. <laughs> but the Bible says that David is a man after God's own heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? David is a man after God's own heart. It says it not once, but three times. It says it uh, in uh, Acts 13, 22. Uh, uh, Saul says it. Uh, uh, he quotes, uh, after removing Saul, he raised up David as their king and testified about him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will carry out my will in its entirety. Whoa! How can he be a man after God's own heart? We read the same thing in uh, um, in in First Samuel. Uh, uh, we read that uh, uh, that. I think it's in 1 Samuel 15, uh, we read that um, uh, David is a man after God's own heart. And then it says, I think it says the same thing in Psalms. Uh, how, can, how can this bad man, this murderer, and I don't want to use the rest of the words because little ears might be listening. How can he be a man after God's own heart? Well, turn to Psalm, 1, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. In your kindness, have mercy. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. We're going to see that the prophet goes in to talk to uh, 
to condemn David. And I don't want to get into that. He he uh, he enrages David by talking about a man who's stolen a poor man's only sheep, even though he had a great flock. And David says, where is he? I'll kill him. And the prophet says, you're the man. You had many wives, and yet you took the wife of your officer and killed him to have her. And what's David's response? Take this prophet out and have him shot. These are lies. No, he says, you're right. Now, Saul when he had offered the sacrifice that he wasn't to offer uh, and had refused to offer what he had been told to offer, uh, we read in 1 Samuel 15 that he was, the, the, the prophet Samuel says to Saul, divination is a sin like witchcraft and rebellion is, is an idolatry. And God's going to take the crown from you. And what was Saul's response saying? Oh, gosh, let's... Don't don't let people know. Let, uh, come with me and offer sacrifice so that people don't know. In other words, all Saul was interested in was his own position and honor. David was a man after God's own heart because he was capable of repentance. I remember Cardinal George used to say, We live in an era in which everything is permitted and nothing is forgiven. And we live in this era in which we blame everyone else for, you know, for, for our, our weaknesses and sins, you know, that uh, it's not my fault. Well, guess what? It may not be totally your fault, but examine your conscience. Would you be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart and say, yeah, Lord, you're right. I need to repent. The Lord does not expect perfection out of us. What I thought in the New Testament said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. No, he's saying strive for the perfection that your heavenly Father has. That word as is everything. Try to be, try to have that goal in mind, which your heavenly Father has in mind, that is um, uh, sacrificial love. David was a man after God's own heart, not because he was good and virtuous, but because he could repent. He grew, you know, he grew in his relationship to the Lord, whereas Saul never did. Saul thought it was all about Saul, and David realized even when he got too big for his britches, and God would remind him, he realized he wasn't all that. And so it is with us. When we think that everything that I want and I need is is the is the purpose for the existence of the universe, well, then we're like Saul. We're, we're we're men after Saul's own heart. But when we realize I'm just a simple man to whom God has been good, I'm just a, a simple woman, a servant of the Lord to whom God has been good, then we're men and women after God's own heart. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with letters and um, and the word of the day. We'll, we'll come in later. But 888-914-9149. Do call in. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Today's programming is sponsored in part by St. Gregory Recovery Center. More information about their Catholic-centered recovery from substance abuse is available at relevantradio.com slash sdgregory. Purple light in the canyons. 
That's where I long to be. This is uh, Dean Martin in Rio Bravo. I'm told it has nothing to do <laughs> with the nature of the show other than that it's a cool song. And of course, uh, the the exit music from the last segment was uh, Ain't Misbehavin', <laughs> which was strangely appropriate. That's more the solo song. Psalm 51 is the so- song of David. All right, let's go to... Uh, Let's go to uh, letters. All right. This is from, let me see who it's from. This is from Mary Catherine. Dear Father Simon, I teach at a Catholic school, and we are making posters about the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. I have searched several sources and cannot find a definition of counsel the doubtful. I'm trying to teach children what exactly this work of mercy is. May I please ask for an explanation of what to do with this spiritual work of mercy? Well, it's not as complicated as you might think. To counsel the doubtful means to give good advice to those who are wavering. Think of it that way. Uh, Good advice to those who are wavering. Um, People who who, uh, uh, sit and listen to the problems of of an afflicted person, uh, well... They're counseling the doubtful. And if, in a way, to counsel the doubtful is evangelism. Uh, to counsel the doubtful, it means it, that's exactly what it means. It means to, to patiently instruct, not just say, well, this is what you got to do. People, that's easy. That's not counsel. That's ordering people around. To counsel the doubtful uh, um, is, is to patiently bear with someone. Um, Doubt, uh, when I looked it up, it's doubt uh, is uncertainty. When someone who is doubtful, that's really what it means. They're uncertain, they're undecided, they're confused. And so, uh, um, counsel means to give advice. But I said the other day that you, you, can't, you shouldn't say things that people can't receive. You know, you don't speak in tongues unless there's someone to interpret. You don't say things that people can't receive. To counsel the doubtful, I really think, starts with listening uh, so but to counsel the doubtful is to to give good advice and instruction to someone who is confused that's that spiritual work of mercy so I I hope that helps uh, a good catechist counsels the doubtful and a good evangelist does so even more all right I hope that helps let's see here now um, Let's see, let's see. Click the little button and get to the letter from Sam. Okay, what is the proper pronunciation of the name Nehemiah? <laughs> well, it depends what language you're saying it in. Uh, let me, let me, uh, I should, should pull this up. Nehemiah. Um, oh, that's the wrong keyboard. I've got all these keyboards and I, I hit the keyboard for the wrong thing here. Let me get this. Because the Hebrew pronunciation is different than the English uh, pronunciation. All right, let me get the Hebrew pronunciation. Um, uh, um, it is uh, in Hebrew. No, it is the same. Uh, it means the Lord. The Lord consoles Nehemiah in Hebrew, but in English it's Nehemiah. That's as far as I know the correct pronunciation. So, but it, the meaning is neat. That the Lord, the Lord comforts. So, speak about. Um, counseling the doubtful. All right, now let me let me click the the proper button, and um, let me see. This is one. 
After the battle, the voice might say, clicking the proper button. All right. Now, this is, uh, again, you know, the shorter the shorter letter gets the, the, um, uh, the quicker response because, well, I try to read long letters, but then, as you know, I see something shiny. But this one is from uh, Mike. And um, when saying the litany of St. Joseph at the part where it reads, have mercy on us, can I insert my son's name? Yes, of course. Uh, so it read, have mercy on my son. You know, litanies are... are um, what we would call a private devotion, even when they're said publicly. And uh, when you're praying a litany or the rosary or any of these prayers in public, you pray what with the words that are customary in the place for the sake of unity and, and, um, um, and uh, coherence. But when you're praying them privately, you can adjust them to the need. I mean, if you adjust them totally, they're a different prayer, but... Uh, um, you don't have to you don't have to be slavish um have mercy on me and by the way on my son no you can you can have mercy on him okay we've been on a 10-year journey with our son and his drug addiction uh so i started novena to maximilian colby can i say it more than once a day of course you can i've been saying a daily rosary my whole family for a few years keep praying you know i remember the story about St. Monica, who went to St. Ambrose, uh, or not St. Ambrose, who went to the Bishop of Hippo uh, because her son was just off the deep end and was not going to be baptized as a Christian. And the bishop said, the son of so many tears cannot be lost. And I, I, I console myself also when I think of relatives who I dearly love who are in, in trouble uh, with that idea that the child of so many tears cannot be lost. So there we go. Um, let's see here. Let me get another one. All right. Um, goodness. This is from, uh, oh, good grief. I can't tell who this is from because it's, it's, um, it's, um, I think it's from Serge. Oh, it's in Russian. That's why I can't tell who it is. That's in, <laughs> I occasionally get letters in Russian and have no idea what they're about because I don't speak Russian. All right. This is books on language. Oh, gosh. You know, I, I was thinking about this, and, and um, the study of language has been uh, uh, kind of a lifelong obsession for me. So this fellow asks me, Eric asks me about a book. Um uh, um, I understand that you taught Greek and Latin, and I enjoy it when you explain the history and origin of words. My question is, can you recommend a book or books on the history and origin of words and languages? You know, I really can't. Um, that's an interesting question. There are some wonderful things. Um, what I would do is just go to an actual library and browse. Uh, there are tremendous uh, the voice major said, what, you can go to a library? Yes, you still can in some places. I imagine that's getting rarer and rarer. But um, just browse. I will do some research on this and see if I know I have one fascinating book on the origin of English. But the origin of language is, is it really is a lifelong kind of study. And uh, what, I would, what I would do is I would simply go to the computer and uh, 
you know, Wikipedia is not always a great source, but often it's a very great source because it's constantly fixing itself. And a lot of real scholars look down on Wikipedia, but not being a real scholar, I do not. It's a good place to start. And if you, you have to take it with a grain of salt, but if you, if you are, get into a topic, uh, eventually you'll see what works uh, in those public resources and what doesn't. So that's what I would recommend. Uh, start there. And uh, whenever you see an interesting word, you know, it's kind of funny to, uh, uh, well, this is how I got interested in all this stuff or learned about it. When I decided to, to, uh, to get serious about my vocation and really applied myself to seminary. My Friday nights and Saturday nights were free, and I would spend them in the basement of the library, surrounded by the encyclopedia. And I would look something up, and if I didn't understand a word, I would look that word up. And the ability to do this with a computer is 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 amazing. It's just you you have to be careful where you go on a computer, and you also have to be careful not to get swamped by, uh, you know, all information is not as valuable as some information. So you have to be a little careful. Well, I'll do some research on this and see if I can if I can uh, uh, be of help with it. But, well, we'll see. I know one great fun book about English that... Um, that I will, I will look that up. It's somewhere in my pile of books downstairs. And um, now I've gotten one from someone in Rhode Island that appears to be in, in Hawaiian. And, of course, that's not going to work either. Hey, let's see here. I get a lot of interesting emails. Most of them good, but some of them, well... Not so good. All right, let's 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 call a uh, let's let's call a quit to this, and and we'll come back with a word of the day, and I'll open the phones for phone calls. Eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. This is the theme. Is this a cigarette commercial or? Oh, bonanza! The theme. Why are we doing a western theme today? I I like it. Bonanza. Well, that was funny in in Germany with the day Horst Cartwright died. It was a day of national mourning in Germany. The Germans loved the show Bonanza back then. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. My goodness. <laughs> well, we're doing a lot of country and western. You know, that line, uh, um, yeah, we have both kinds of music at this tavern, country and western. But uh, the I was as, as I was saying, the Germans got totally obsessed with country and western-themed things in, uh, in, oh, I guess it would have been in the 80s and 90s. But... They're not obsessed with them anymore, I don't think. All right, moving along here, let's go to the word of the day. Oh, 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 oh by the way, I, I keep forgetting to mention this, um, and I think I may have erased it, but um, the don't forget we're doing, uh, I, I think I just erased a bunch of my letters somehow, uh, but we're doing something, uh, Mary, uh, what, what is it again, Mary, Miracles, and... 
This and this mystery? is why, Father, mysteries, miracles, mysteries, and Mary. Ah, I got, I was close. But you can go to the website and, and click into it and and get get kind of the exclusive material. And you know, I, a lot of people get real upset. Why do we Why do we get so excited about the Blessed Mother? Well, it makes perfect sense. If the church is a family, families need mothers. And I, I think it's very important that, that that we do that. And I mentioned yesterday this idea of the Queen of Angels. The word angel means missionaries. And, you know, from the very first days of the church, from the book of Revelation on, in the early visions, you always saw, there was always a woman. You know, I saw a woman clothed with the sun, that sort of thing. And the early church identified her as, as the... Uh, as the as the church, which they conceived of as a woman, and as the age of visions kind of passed, they conceived of her as the Blessed Mother. Well, which was she, the Church of the Blessed Mother? And the answer, of course, is yes, because our Blessed Mother, in a certain sense, is the incarnation of the Church. It's it's a it's a beautiful bit of poetry, and and to you know, if you get worried about the the devotion we have to the Blessed Mother, just remember what the Scripture says. All generations will call me blessed. Are you calling the Blessed Mother blessed? Wonderful way to do that, I think. My favorite way to do it is the rosary. And this is also, uh, this series that we have come, coming up, is also a wonderful way to fulfill the mandate of Scripture by honoring our Blessed Mother. All right, that said, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. we got a lot of phones open, 888-914-9149. But before we go to the phones, we're going to go to the Word of the Day. Oh, Please promise me you won't get mad at me for this, but I want to talk about the kingdom of God again today because it's in the Gospel of Mark. I was thinking about this. This is how it is with the kingdom of God. As if a man were to scatter seed on the land and the seed sprouts and grow, he doesn't know how, but of its own accord, the land yields fruit. How, I ask you, is a geographical territory or a political system related to a field of grain that grows uh, mysteriously. Then the next one, uh, it's the, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. When sown in the ground, it's the smallest of the seeds of the earth, and then it becomes, uh, uh, puts forth large branches so that birds of the air can dwell in its shade. I was thinking about this, and you know, maybe, I again, please take it with a grain of salt. I know you take everything I say with a grain of salt, <laughs> and maybe a country western song, but... Um, Maybe we can occasionally translate the word kingdom of God as the majesty of God. This is how it is with the majesty of God. It's as if a man were to scatter seed on the land. And the majesty of God is like a mustard seed. The majesty of God starts small. It's a seed. But you know what? A seed is alive. And uh, seeds are amazing things. They, they hold life inside them. You know, when you were a kid and I was a kid and we did a little experiment in kindergarten or first grade, you got the little Dixie cup and you put a little dirt in it and, and, uh, planted a bean in it and you'd water it every day and it'd be in the sun, uh, over the radiator in the middle of winter. And after a couple of weeks, this little green sprout would come out. And towards spring, this was a veritable bush, you know, and you'd have to repot the, 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 the this, this little plant and, uh, you'd shake the dirt off the root and there the little bean husk would be, would be, um, 
sort of clustered around the root. And that beautiful plant, capable of making an infinite number more of beautiful plants, was somehow hidden in that little bean. And in St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he talks about the resurrection that way, that this body is just a bean husk, and the kingdom of God is just a seed, but within a seed there's life. And so God's majesty is this hidden, unimportant, unnoticeable little thing, but it, it, it expands and manifests what it really is. You know, this the second analogy in the parable about uh, it becomes the largest of the, of the shrubs and birds can dwell in its shade. Apparently, little black mustard seeds are loved by birds. They love those things. They must be German. We like mustard. Well, uh, the, the ancient monarchs used to compare themselves to trees, believe it or not, that, that they would they they would picture themselves as a great tree or vine, and their client kingdoms would be like birds taking refuge in their shade, and so this is about you know, God's majesty. It 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 starts as something which isn't very significant, but boy, it's significant. All right, let's go to phones eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Hello, whom do we have? Ah, Deacon Daniel from Palo Alto. What can I do for you? Yes. Hello, Father. Yeah, I'm from Palo Alto, St. Thomas Aquinas Parish. Ah, and, Mazel uh, Tov on your feast day. <laughs> yeah, it's a feast day today. <laughs> and, you know, he was talking about the beginning of life. And yes. he believes that life starts at the first moment of motion in the womb, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and yes. I'm a biologist too, but you know, as you know, in biology, you have two haploid cells, the man and the woman, mm -hmm. you got conception, and it becomes mm -hmm. a diploid cell. So that mm -hmm. divides into two to four to eight to 16 to 32 to 64 to the trillions of cells, and right there, that's considered motion too. Yeah. So to me, it just seems like, uh, like conception, you know. So, yeah. And yeah. I also wanted to bring up some other thing, too. You know, um, a lot of Catholics are confused about this. I, I thought it'd be good to explain it, about, you know, can, uh, politicians who are pro-abortion and Catholic, mm -hmm. that this, it does not apply to excommunication, because canon mm -hmm. law of 1398 says the person who procures a complete abortion and cures an automatic excommunication. Mm -hmm, yes. But this excommunication is for Catholic doctors, Catholic nurses, and the Catholic woman who had the abortion, but not Catholic politicians who endorse abortion. However, the bishop, including Pope Francis, says that they can't deny you know, communion to these people who do endorse you know, abortion, but they cannot be excommunicated. Well, excommunication, you have to understand, is considered medicinal in the church. That that we think of it as a punishment. It is it is a punishment, but it is it is the punishment of a parent who loves you, supposedly, hopefully, and it's medicinal. And excommunication is in the hands of the diocesan bishop, as I understand it. There are some general and universal excommunications. Now, as for St. Thomas Aquinas, 
he was wrong about it, <laughs> I think. And St. Thomas was wrong. Yeah, he was a human being, and he he also didn't particularly believe in the Immaculate Conception. But he would have been the first one to say, well, I'm wrong if the Church has said otherwise. So Thomas Aquinas, uh, uh, believing that, that ensoulment didn't happen uh, until uh, a period, until there was movement, well, okay, what what if that's true? Well, it may not be true. It may be human life. It isn't. It, it, if there's life in the womb from conception, that's that's human life. Uh, yeah, and it isn't a platypus. It isn't, for instance, a a mountain lion. It's a human life. And if I were to have a, a grenade that the pin was out of, and I had to dispose of it. And I came up to a house and think, well, there's probably nobody in there, so I'm going to throw the grenade in there. Probably. I better make darn well sure before I release that grenade that there's nobody in there. Uh, on the chance that it's human life, we would respect uh, um, uh, from the moment of conception on. But I think your point is well taken, Deacon, that, that the... the uh, um, from the moment of conception, there is, in fact, motion. It's just motion that is so small and so ununderstandable to someone with the resources of St. Thomas Aquinas' day. Well, there you go. And as for the excommunication of politicians, again, that is in the hand of the bishops. And the bishop will will do um, um, what he feels is right for that person. However, excommunication is not the only way... <laughs> in which the decision of abortion makes us, uh, or participation in an abortion makes us ineligible to receive Holy Communion. There's also serious sin. And when a person prefers his political well-being, his political fate, more important than human life, well, then he can just say to Hitler and Stalin, move over uh, and sit on their bench. You know, human life is the great goal of human life and the the uh again excommunication that's in the hands of the bishops uh and part of american law the people can protest uh, um that well no legislature has ever legislated abortion that a supreme court which is now gone said that it was an implicit right in the constitution which i think is personally think is ridiculous but uh, our, our legal system makes it very hard for European people to understand uh, what's going on here. Nonetheless, even when there is not an abortion or not not uh, uh, an excommunicatable uh, degree of of involvement in abortion, that um, I really do believe that if a politician knowingly pushes abortion, the, the so-called right to abortion, because of cowardice and a, a, a seeking after status and political power, I think he is complicit in murder and uh, probably should go to confession and repent before he goes to communion again. Um, we'll leave excommunication in the hands of those people to whom it has always been given, the bishops, and trust their wisdom. But sin is still sin. All right, let us go to another caller. Whom do we have, dear voice in my head? 
Damon from Daly City, California. Are you with us, Damon? Yes, I am. And Father St. Thomas Aquinas, it's the Theologica. He ripped it up. And perhaps I'm suggesting in your comment that he got tired, uh, not tired, a new spirit with God. Rather than writing about understanding, he got insight about uh, obedience. That, yeah. <laughs> that uh, the, more, the more you honor me, whether you understand it or not, and he dropped the pen, the more you honor me, again, whether you agree or disagree, understand or not, the more I will bless you. Keep on blessing us, Father, with understanding and obedience, especially if you're taking out the trash and you don't want to, uh, especially when you call it tissue and someone else calls it uh, <laughs> life, full of life, overflowing, organs, nervous cells, thumbs, everything going, hiccuping. Um, it's not that I under- it's both in the Francis. It is cells. You know, I, rem- I remember, I remember, thank you, I remember a, a, a missionary who was, uh, you know, preaching to people, he was talking about abortion, and they started laughing, and he said, what are you laughing? He said, that's a great joke. I said, no, it's not a joke that they do that, and the entire tribe went into mourning, <laughs> because it's so egregiously stupid. Um you know, I, 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 I often paraphrase uh, Abraham Lincoln, who said, if slavery is not wrong, then nothing is wrong. Well, in our times, if abortion is not wrong, then nothing is wrong. And that is exactly the point. Those people who push abortion do so because they want nothing to be wrong. They, I really believe that, that a great, great segment of our society wants to be absolutely... Uh, free to be immoral in all areas and so if they can sacrifice a child on the altar of abortion to the demons of that industry well at any rate enough to whom are we going now linda is that who we have linda from houston are you with us linda yes i am Uh, my question was why is there no old testament saints like elijah elisha samuel isaiah well, interestingly, there are. They, they, especially in the Eastern Church, they're called Saint Elijah. And remember the word saint just means holy. That's all it means. So when I say Saint Michael the Archangel, he's an angel. How can he be a saint? Holy Michael. Whenever you see the word saint, you can translate it holy. Uh, saint Joseph. Holy Joseph. Uh, saint Mary. Holy Mary. Mother of God. Pray for us sinners. So the word saint is just the Latin word sanctus dragged through English, French into English, uh, and, and it means holy. So the, earth, the church does talk about holy Elijah and holy, holy Moses. Uh, good grief. And so in a sense, they are saints. They're, they're not canonized uh, in the same way that New Testament saints are canonized. They don't need it. So yeah, the, the, there are Old Testament saints, and that's why we so often choose Old Testament names for children, and it's absolutely appropriate. So I hope that helps a little bit. There you go. Yes, it does. Thanks. Oh, God bless, and thanks for listening. Whom do we have now, dear voice in my head? Michelle from Coverland, Rhode Island. What can I do for you? Hello, Father. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm calling to ask a question about something that happened years ago to me. I had a miscarriage many years ago, and the anniversary oh, yeah. is coming up. 
And mm. and I remember hearing, I'm not sure if it was on your uh, program or not, that you could still baptize a miscarried baby and it, time didn't really matter. Is that the truth? And if that is the truth, can I, how do I do it? Well, no, I, I, I don't know the time doesn't matter. You'd have to have, if a child is miscarried, the minute they come from the womb, if you were to pour water and, and say the words of baptism, uh, that would be a, a noble thing to do. But you'd have to pour water over the over the actual person, uh, the, the actual body. So uh, these many years later, I, I don't know if that's possible. However, understand what Pope Benedict said and what we read, and we read in First First Peter, the St. Peter's first letter. We have two texts in St. Peter. First Peter 3, is it 5? And then uh, I think in the fourth chapter, he reiterates it, that there is the biblical example of post-death salvation. And Pope Benedict made the point that that we have good hope that God makes the offer of salvation to all people in his justice and mercy. So, I mean, you're, of course, very concerned about the life of this child. Now, another, you know, the eternal life of this child, as, as a mother should be. And you realize that this is a, a person, and uh, uh, as opposed to some people who don't. But what, I, what I'm trying to drive at here is that uh, well, oh, and one other one other possibility. There is the possibility that there is something called the limbo of the just. It's just a theory, but that that someone who dies without the grace of baptism, they do have a wonderful heaven, but because they're unbaptized, they don't see the vision of God. Now, I don't. That isn't Catholic doctrine. That's a theory, but I think you can be consoled by saying God will deal justly and lovingly with this child of your womb. And what I would do instead of baptize them, I would have a mass offered for the repose of their soul. Does that help a little? Yes, yes, it does. It gives me a little bit of um, consolation because I always feel yeah, badly. Yeah, I think that that, that mass, that mass you, you offered know. for the repose of the soul, is is a good thing. You know. Okay. Thank and, you so much. Well, God bless you, and and uh, God bless you for for your faithfulness. We we got one more we can do, dear voice in my head. Patricia from Reno, Nevada. We got a little over a minute. What can I do for you, Patricia? Uh, yes, hi, Father. I'm a recent convert, and so my family has—they're not Christian. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, my parents—they're elderly, so I just didn't know how to. Um, and they're—they're they're not open to Christianity. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then I have two—a mm-hmm. sister and two nephews that are baptized, but they're not really practicing the faith. I'm just wondering, yeah. what is my response? What would be the best thing for me to do? Well, I always say that when Jesus said that we would be fishers of men, he meant we were supposed to be the worm on the hook. You'd be the tastiest little worm you can be. In other words, your conversion to Christ and to his church should make you such a nice and kind and loving person that they're going to say, what's up with her? Maybe we need that. You, When you can't speak Christ, which so often we can't, to our own family, we have to be Christ. So... That's my suggestion for you. Be the very image of Christ in your home life, bringing them joy and not criticizing them, just bringing them joy, as Drew does every day. 